welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This is a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars concerning RPG design and publishing. This panel has been recorded at Gen Con 2016 and sponsored by the Indie Game Developer Network. Before we get to the show, the RPG Design Panelcast has a request for you. We'd love to know a bit more about you and solicit suggestions about future panels for the podcast. So if you'd be so kind as to go to tinyurl slash panelcast survey, all one word, and fill out the short survey, it'd be super appreciated. Thank you very much, and now for the show. Episode 93, Heart Wrenchers, Emotional RPGs. Recorded at Gen Con 2016. Presented by Jason Pitr, Shoshana Kesek, and Emily Kerpos. So yes, welcome to Friday morning Gen Con. Uh, this is Heartbreakers, correct? Heartbreakers? Heartwrenchers? Heart lots of hearts involved. Uh, so this is one of the many panels put on by the Indie Game Developer Network, a uh, group of like-minded small RPG publishers and designers, uh, currently situated in booth 2311 in the marketplace. Please buy all our stuff. Um, there happens to be a heart-wrenching uh, RPG that was recently published that is available for sale at this point. Is, is there someone here who published an amazing heart-wrenching game that we should be talking there's about? There's plenty of them, actually. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, them. Emily just published the Romance Trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and it is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and so, one of many very heart-wrenching games that yes. likes to be on Emily's Yeah. <laughs> but highlighting that because it's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, so, yes. Uh, my name is Jason Pitt of Genesis of Legend Publishing. Uh, I've done a number of games, including uh, the Spark role-playing game, Post-Human Pathways, which is a super sad game, uh, and Sig, The City Between. I'm Shoshana Kessak. I'm both a LARP and tabletop designer. My full-time job is working as one of the staff writers for uh, 7C over at John Wick Presents. Um, um, but uh, also, I'm uh, one half of Phoenix Outlaw Productions. We're a tiny publishing company. We're doing a game called Smoking Glass. And myself, I've done a game called Service and uh, Dangers Untold. And I've got a couple of other games out there. Uh, I'm Emily Kerboss. Uh, my company is Black and Green Games. And I've been independently publishing since 2005 or so. I started out with three romance themed games. And ah, quiet again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I just put out as, as Jason so kindly mentioned as one volume called the Romance Trilogy it's also at IGDN and a lot of my games are focused on emotions and relationships uh, not all of them Some are, I've got a spy game out this year too um, but it's really fun to be on this particular panel um, and to get to spotlight a whole wide variety of different emotionally strong RPGs it's funny, I was about to say, so yes, go pick up this game. The very first time that I had like an incredibly heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching experience in a small RPG was in your game. It was playing Under the Skin when we were in a... Um, Intercom? Intercom, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
And uh, Postume Pathways, my last uh, large uh, game, which somehow won an any, was entirely based on an experience playing a character with you in uh, shooting the moon. Oh, wow. In other words, she she uh, she inspires a lot of stuff. Yeah. So by this game, it does a lot of fun things to your feelings. So not necessarily good things, I'm saying. But you will have feelings. You will have feelings. There may be tears involved. Just say. So yes. So what is a heart wrenching game? Why do we like them? We all. Why do we hate ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that one of the things about role-playing games, whatever they are, is that we feel strongly about them. We feel uh, triumphant if we win over and kill a dragon. We feel sad if we lose a character that we love. That's sort of the heart for many people about what they like about role-playing games. And so what we're talking about, as far as I see it, is looking at uh, a broader spectrum of what you might feel. You might feel like you're falling in love when you're playing. You might uh, really enjoy a very, very sad, dramatic, heartbreaking story. And a lot of the movies that we love best, the ones that really stick with us, are the ones that are sad or that have bring you through this emotional roller coaster. So like, that's that's why I think that RPGs that do that too, it's even stronger because it's you doing it. It's you making these choices. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, dovetailing off of that, I think that also... Um, heart-wrenching emotional experiences can happen in the strangest of places. Um, you can end up you know, going into a game thinking you're going to just be playing like I hit it with a stick kind of game, and you end up having these incredibly deep emotional connections to characters. Um, and sometimes that's a product of the, uh, you know, the people at the table and the really great GM, and sometimes it's a product of you know, the designers who go in and specifically want to elicit emotions. So those are two really different things. Uh, but can be, like, looking at it from a design perspective, um, as a designer going in, the emotions that you want to elicit uh, are sometimes not the ones that actually come out of the table, which I find really fascinating. Uh, and for me, I'm taking a slightly different spin on this, in that I find role-playing games are extremely good at giving me an opportunity to play through experiences that I will never personally have. For instance, I'm unlikely to be a mother anytime soon. But role-playing games allow me to play from different perspectives. And one of those is emotional emotional vulnerability. That society says, dudes, you must be stoic or angry. These are your two modes. That's it. So being able to play games that have sort of this safe space where it's like, yeah, no, why don't you just go be sad and cry for two hours? And there's, it's socially sanctioned. It's fantastic. Yeah, I have a, I have a pretty, like, a, a small anecdote. Um, the very first time I actually played out, like, a, a serious relationship uh, was in a role-playing game in a LARP. I'm a diehard LARPer. Um, and so, like, of course I was dating, I was young, but, like, I played out having a serious relationship, getting engaged, getting married, and then uh, choosing as a role-player to cheat on that person and experience what that experience is like inside of a safer environment than, you know, messing up things in real life and causing trauma. Um, and that was a really interesting experience to then, like, take into my real life and have lessons that I said to myself, well, this is something I never want to do on somebody. You know what I mean? So it gives you opportunities to learn through the emotions that you are having in a game, positively and negatively, 
uh, to really teach yourself about yourself, about other people, about life lessons. Um, what is it they say about role players? You get to live a million lives, you know, your entire life. Most people only get to live one. That's what these games can do and give you those emotional experiences. Anecdotes. Yeah. Uh, so I think a good part to start on this would be belief. Okay. Because it's logical. Involved. So there's a, a, a concept or a word that gets used in, in an application of role-playing games called bleed. Some of you might have heard about it. Um, a lot of times it's used uh, about live-action role-playing because it comes up a lot there. And it just means when your emotions spill over into the character or vice versa, um, uh, talking about having a relationship as a character um, is, is a place where that might happen where you're pretending to be in love with somebody, and then at the end of the game, you're like, oh, wait a minute, you're kind of cute. Um, it, it, that's a, a normal thing that happens. And a lot of times it just goes away after the game. And sometimes it doesn't. I've actually had relationships start in some of my romance-themed games where people genuinely hit it off, and it influences their play, and then it becomes something in their real lives. Um, and then the other way around that it can work is if you're having a really horrible day, and then your character ends up being really grouchy to everybody else in play. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of ways this can manifest. It's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I think you can have both aspects. Um, but it's something that often people uh, assume that people are going to compartmentalize everything that happens fictionally. Oh, of course that wasn't really me. That was my character. And to a certain extent, that is why we play, because we're not the character. But also, we're real breathing human beings. If somebody spends four hours stabbing you in the back, it might be really hard to like walk away and just have a drink with them. Um, a lot of times, without poisoning him. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's always the option. The slayer. And sometimes I think we often break character. I, I've seen um, uh, again talking about larks here. Um, people who are doing such an amazing job being a bad guy in a game partway through sort of break character and check in with somebody else and say, oh, just want to make sure you know, this, is, this really is my character. I don't feel this way about you. I don't want to hurt you. And uh, it, it, sometimes you need to do that, just real life check in. And it's not even all, all, like for bad guys often, like you could be playing just somebody who is loud and, and overbearing or emotionally vulnerable or something, and you need that moment to calibrate yourself um, also so that the other person knows sort of who you are in that separation. I, I've had a lot of experiences where in role-playing groups, a lot of the times, especially with LARPs, you're meeting people only in character. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you can end up starting to like get this image of a person uh, as this particular way. So breaking character so that you get sort of an emotional baseline and personality baseline for you in real life it can help the bleed uh, so that people can start separating like, what are you feeling for that character, which could be something like loathing or, you know, anger or intimidation. Um, I oftentimes get that in games because I play loud, like, angry fighters, and then I'll break character and be like, hey, what's going on? Do you want to go play Pokemon? Like, just to, like, <laughs> take it down and get people to, like, oh, that's not who you are, and sort of calibrate the emotions back down to the middle. So. And there's some things that you can build into games at the beginning and the end to make sure that everybody really has a chance to do that in a formal way. Um, in my game, Under My Skin, um, I start the game uh, where everyone just talks a little bit about themselves because during play, you're going to pretend to be in an long-term relationship with one person and then fall in love with someone else. So knowing at the beginning, okay, actually this person is married and has two children and they're not coming on to me, they're just playing their character. 
is very helpful, so disclosure helps. And then at the end of play, uh, a lot of games build in something where you do de-rolling. Um, it's sort of a, a term that comes from Nordic uh, uh, gaming circles. It's just saying, this is something that I know is about this character that maybe I value or maybe I don't like, and I'm, I'm setting it aside. So you as a person just have a moment to really uh, ritually set aside what you've been doing for the last X number of hours. And a non-ritual way to do it that I think was, has been developed in a lot of communities is just is afters, or like, you know, you sit around after a game and everybody tells war stories. Um, I think that developed as sort of the same idea, just in a less uh, formalized fashion, where people want to tell those stories, and by recounting them are sort of, um, in, uh, not explicitly, but implicitly, showing their emotions about how they felt in that, like, one story would be like, man, wasn't it awesome when we did this? And another person will be like, yeah, no, that really sucked. Like, and that, that way they're, they're showing how it emotionally impacted them without sort of having the, like, formalized language. Yeah. And that's been going on in communities forever, around your table or in general. So, uh, Emily hit on this earlier, uh, but the, there is a very large uh, LARP tradition of emotionally engaging play. Uh, specifically in the Nordic countries, Yeepform uh, and all of the other Scandinavian art larks. Like, could you ramble off some more things that people could Google later? Sure. Gostaval uh, <laughs> is a, a event that happens in Denmark every year, and they develop short-form tabletop and live-action games that are really hard-hitting. Also, there are a lot of different types of genres. Um, uh, there's the there's a couple of places you can find games like this. Um, the Stockholm Scenario Festival has a lot of games that you can just download. Um, the Golden Cobra Challenge uh, that comes out of the U.S. has a lot of live foreign games that are pretty hard hitting. Um, and uh, Lizzie Stark, who is a journalist and a, a writer about live action games, she wrote Leaving Mundania, has a lot of posts on her website and wrote a book called American Freeform, uh, introducing uh, the handbook. And that has a lot of information about this type of thing and the, the cool techniques that people use to really elicit emotion out of you. Yeah, and sort of that school of thought and school of design has been feeding into tabletop in recent years, thanks to someone at this table. <laughs> and a lot of people do it. There's a lot of people working on it, but thank you very much for bringing some of this. Well, I, I, I kind of just fell in love with it and then started babbling about it so everybody can listen. <laughs> Thankfully, it all worked out. Yes. Um, so one of the key differences between LARP and tabletop is the sheet of paper behind in, in front of you, which can work as a shield. Uh, it can cause additional distance between emotions and reality. And, and what, sorry, emotions and the fiction and the game mechanics. We use math to sort of protect us from the emotions in play, um, which is something that doesn't happen nearly to the same extent in the LARP domain. Um, but there's a number of ways that people have been clever on uh, twisting that around. Uh, one game I'd like to highlight, uh, which is at the IGN booth, is Headspace. So it's a... Uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, cyberpunk game, which is great, except it's all about emotions. All of your stats are emotions. And you actually have a, a, a joint group emotion track. Because you're all in a hive line. 
and you can borrow each other's skills, but when you do it, you grab their emotional baggage along for the ride. Um, so it means that you've got, in, in the middle of the table, there's a chart that says uh, rage, ego, uh, need, fear, grief, and there's level, levels in all of these. And this is sort of your ambient level of emotion in, this, in the various things. So it means that everyone can look at it and go, yep, I should be slightly grumpy now, and very, very sad. Excellent. Now let's role play from there. Um, <laughs> it's like having a director tell you, what's my motivation in this scene? How am I feeling? Uh, and the fun bit is you can actually do things mechanically to mess up the track. It's like, and now I'm done with the anger. Got it. It's been vented. We're good. I think what's interesting about, about Headspace is... Um, so like the game presents like specific scenarios for the future, but the humanity about it is still remains the same, which is great because it's you know it's slightly in the future. There's some weird, you know, technological stuff, but you're still relying on the same emotional core of people. Um, but the game also sort of pushes you to have certain emotions, which is something interesting. It plays with player agency in that way, where it says your actions uh, have agency, but in a lot of ways you don't have agency over your emotions. And there's some games that play with that, which are, you know, you have to sort of buy into that because, you know, you might you have to be comfortable with that sort of thing. But, like, it gives you a really interesting perspective on, like, what you do and do not have control over in your own life, um, which, you know, I think everybody can uh, empathize with, like, I woke up this morning, I have things to do, but I really can't control where my feelings are going. And I think that games, like, let us do that, um, that push the envelope that way. Another one being Monster Hearts, I think, is a really fantastic one, which, like, um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game that's very much like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, monsters in high school kind of thing, except that you have these emotional, I guess, kerfluffles that will go on in that game where, you know, you're attracted to people you didn't know or think you would be, and it impresses upon you that, like, you're a teenager, your emotions are wacky, you have no idea what's going on, your, your sexual feelings are wacky, all these things, and things that are hot-button to us are really, like, in that game and push the envelope of like sometimes what you're comfortable with uh, around the table. Uh, I know that's one of the only games I've ever emotionally noped out of. I was like, I just can't handle this. Like, I can kill vampires all day long, but this is a lot of feelings that I don't know what to do with. I'm gonna just sit over here for a minute and kill a vampire. And, <laughs> and we've, we've mentioned it a couple of times, um, just to make sure everybody knows what Powered by the Apocalypse means. It's just games that use the uh, a system that was developed for Apocalypse World, which is an indie game by Vincent Baker. Which is Fury Road, the role-playing game. Yeah, basically. Coming in this fall, second edition. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and there's a lot of PBTA games that are very heavy in the emotion space. I actually wanted to bring up a whole set of games that right. we don't necessarily talk about in RPGs, um, but g games that have a war theme, mm -hmm. specifically. Um, I, I started thinking about that, and then the list kept going on and on and on. Um, and uh, you, you were one for the Warbirds uh, anthology. I wonder if you wouldn't mind talking about that collection. and then. <coughs> sure. So the Warbirds collection was an anthology of games about uh, women and their experiences during World War II in different parts of the world. Uh, they are uh, short-form LARPs for the most part, um, and just really short, condensed experiences. Um, like, so there's a game about uh, Soviet fighter pilots, women. Uh, the one that I wrote uh, was called um, Keeping the Candles Lit, which is uh, based on the experiences of Jewish women partisans during World War II 
trying to keep their religious tradition while running away from the Nazis in the woods. And it's about three generations of women, a grandmother, a mother, and, and their daughter, uh, and, the, and the daughter, rather, um, trying to relate to one another, trying to relate to their past, and like the unknown of the future while they're you know, under potentially threat of death. Um, largely inspired by like, like family members, it was very close to the game that I wrote, and uh, you know, specifically about like the relationship between me, my my grandmother, and my mother, like in a lot of ways, and uh, transposed. But uh, yeah, it was, it's it's an incredibly emotional uh, ride because uh, it's literally all about how you feel about being trapped uh, and losing your identity and trying to make a new one. Uh, which was, it was a rough thing to write, forget about the play. So oh, I And the collection has uh, three or four other games, yeah. also written by women designers. Um, some about women pilots during that war. Um, another one talking about um, women on strike uh, behind you know, during the military buildup and dealing with races, issues of race and class. Um, so it's really powerful. Um, a couple others that I thought of were, uh, if anyone's familiar with Grey Ranks by Jason Morningstar, yeah. who wrote Fiasco. It's an, a little bit of an older game now, but it's another, holy cow, you're going to cry, kind yep. of game um, that's set during World War II in Poland. There were uh, scouts that were involved in the war effort who uh, were very heroic and very tragic, and you actually play these scouts as they try and help and you know, sort of deliver messages and help them in the lines. Um, so Emily, how old were these scouts? Uh, actually, I'm not sure, like 10 or 12? Yeah. Or, uh, kids. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's during yeah. the Nazi occupation, and it, it has a sad ending. And, and I think There's lots of sad endings. There's a variety of different sad endings you can have. <laughs> They're all bad. I think it's interesting. The, the sadder the story, the bigger your smile gets. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I think we should probably address is that when we're talking about some of these topics that the games address, it sounds impossible to play them. Uh, Julia Ellenville wrote a game about slaves during the antebellum period, so you're actually playing uh, African-American slaves in the United States. And the concept on the surface sounds like, oh my god, that's too intense, or I couldn't even touch that topic. And I love the fact that these designers have created experiences that give you agency within situations when people didn't, you would look at it from the outside and you wouldn't see how people could have choice or have, make a difference. And you're experiencing that. With Grey Ranks, I played it uh, several times, and, and the things that made it worth playing were those beautiful moments of adolescent innocence that happened within this larger, horrible situation. Um, and in a similar way, in Steal Away Jordan, the, you know, you're people who are living your lives under a, a terrible situation, and you're getting to see what it's like. And, and it's, it's beautiful and it's joyful within darkness and within sadness. Um, and just one more war one before we maybe move on. There's a, a, a Danish game called Dolce et Decorum, sort of a Latin name. And that, uh, it's World War One, actually, a little earlier, uh, and it combines poetry from the period with playing out people's lives behind the line. Um, and that is at uh, the festival site on alexandria.dk. And it's really a, a really beautiful and heartbreaking kind of thing. If I can also add service is the one that I wrote, uh, so which is, um, it's about, uh, if, if you are drafted, you're, it's playing generally like really close to the close to home kind of characters, which means like you're playing somebody who might be pretty close to you. That's an option. Um, where you are being drafted into World War Three, and you're showing up for the very first day of like in the draft office. 
to experience what that's like to like let go of your life and go potentially serve your country um, and potentially you know die at war or whatever's going to happen to you. So um, yeah, taking on war can be like from from many different angles can be incredibly powerful. Um, but the yeah the, the issue with creating these games sometimes is that this presentation sometimes because uh, if you like say yeah the, uh, somebody mentioned a game uh, that was at Metatopia last year and uh, we sat down I was like what are you running this weekend she's like what's well, my new game about honor killings and I was like all right um, yep. Yep. I'm, yep. I'm ready for that we're and, at Metatopia yeah, okay all right. we're, we're, we know what we're getting into but this is not fluffy bunnies the larp I'm ready like you know get the tissues on a related note we'll talk about Golden Sky stories later yeah um, okay. which is Fluffy Bunny's Larp. Yeah. Um, so a couple yeah. other war ones, because we're drowning in really good, compelling, emotionally involved war ones. Um, Night Witches oh, yeah. by Bully Pulpit, which also is um, a, a group of Russian women fighter pilots in World War II uh, flying crop dusters and World War I planes to uh, fight the Germans. Um, with a lot of relationship drama going on between the various pilots, uh, and uh, it's super interesting and engaging. Um, the War in which is a fluffy bunny game, <laughs> which has a World War II uh, setting in it. A World War One, Polygon Wood. Is uh, anyways, so it is Watership Down. Oh yeah, bunnies. Your bunnies. Yeah. That's yep. Yep. Oh. No! <laughs> no! You have, you have a panic stat. Many, many people have traumatized like feelings from Watership Down from children. Yes, so it is yeah. Watership Down. Oh. Yes, it's beautiful and terrible. <laughs> I, I, I played a pregnant bunny oh, no. with 13 kids. None of them survived. Oh, I want like an ex-partner. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> sad. Let's just hit the sad button again. Um, and... Maybe we should shift gears now. I was about to say, yeah, let's talk about another emotion. Let let me just throw Carrie a game about War by Nathan Pauletta, which is Vietnam. It's beautiful and terrible. That again, I'm sorry. Uh, Carrie, a game about war by Nathan D. Pauletta. So, yes, uh, Golden Sky Stories. Yeah. Golden Sky Stories is a Japanese role playing game that is the most uplifting and heartwarming thing I've ever played and it was glorious. I spent an entire uh, convention just doing sad tragedy games and heavily LARPed. And then I finished it off with Golden Sky Stories. And I was smiling coming out of the convention. Because it's a game where you're playing small uh, effectively spirit animals uh, and you're helping uh, young children with their problems. Like, playing a small bu- uh, moon bunny who lights up the school so a small child can get his school <laughs> without being afraid of the shadows. It's super, like, noodle ropes and w- w- carried by small birds and, like, <laughs> super emotional and cute and happy. You know, it's funny, it, like, I can't, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, games that are just cheerful and, like, it's not enough. It's, there's not enough of them, in my opinion, like, at all. Like, there's not... It's harder um, to design. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I got approached by uh, Josh Jordan to write Dangers Untold, 
which is uh, a LARP version of Heroin, which is his game about like young girls having adventures, like Alice in Wonderland style. And he's like, can you make the LARP version? And I was like, how is this not going to turn into like sad tragedy, teenage YA angst? Um, and the idea was to try to turn it more into like like Labyrinth, where it's like, you know, give me back the child, like be, you know, inspire hope and, and positive uh, agency. And David Bowie. And David Bowie, <laughs> which we, you know, is always fun. But um, I guess the idea is, is that when, when you go in to design the game, you have to sort of know what you're aiming for um, and, and sort of try to figure out what the mechanics are. So the mechanics for that game are all about um, making positive choices and having the people playing your NPC companions accept those choices. So all that um, is done by hand gestures, like reaching out your hand to somebody else. And that idea was like, first it was like hand signals. And I was like, no, I want there to be physical contact. I want somebody to say, come with me, we're going to have an adventure. And that feeling of just tactile contact says, we're in this together, and like brought that feeling into the game. <coughs> so the mechanics themselves, and how you create them, and what you do with them, whether it's like, you know, what dice you're throwing, how you're doing it. Uh, we were talking about uh, yesterday, Myth Ender, where uh, it's, a, you know, it's about killing gods in the face with like an axe, basically. But when you throw the dice, they make this like, there's a million bets. It's like a handful of them to throw. And it makes this like thundering noise. And I always felt like, man, I feel intensely powerful just because of that sound. And like, that's an emotion too. It's not just the sadness or the like elation, but like powerful, um, you know, greedy is an emotion, you know, uh, lustful is an emotion. Like all these things that are have nuance to it. So how do you create that? And you don't necessarily even have to build a whole game around it. But how do you inspire that at different points in your game? Um, I think we're talking about a lot of games that aim for those like specific emotional experiences. I love the games that put them into other experiences, like that aren't all about your feels, but then you have them anyway. Um, like I do a lot of LARPs, I do a lot of different, you know, what we would consider I guess big box LARPs, where you're going into play Star Wars, or you're going into play Pacific Rim, or I play Dystopia Rising, for example. And I've had more emotional experiences in Dystopia Rising, intense, grief-stricken, elated, beautiful emotions in those games uh, because they simulate the experiences of real life, going through your everyday, but it's like jacked up to 20 because it's the post-apocalypse and you're trying to stay alive, right? So I've seen, you know, I've experienced losing friends and like death, um, dying, what it's like to die on a battlefield, like what it's like to lie there and listen to my friends grieve over me. Like, all of those things. And it's in, like, a game about hitting zombies, right? Like, that's what it's about. But those moments um, are turned up to such a degree because you're there, you're experiencing it, and if you let yourself get into it, and I think that's, that's where I'm getting with this, like, train of thought, sorry, is you have to sort of buy into letting these emotions happen uh, in any of these games. Because you can go in and say, I'm going to play the Fluffy Bunnies game, but I'm going to keep that distance because I have character sheet. Um, that alibi uh, that it gives you can either be stripped away and you say, I'm all in for the emotions, or you can keep the alibi. I'm then, plus four. Yeah, I'm and, that, plus four. and that's it. Um, you choose, I guess, as much as anything else. Sorry, I got a soapbox there for a minute. And you have a fantastic list, so let's... <laughs> Uh, well, another lighthearted one, uh, uh, a hack that I included in the romance trilogy for my um, game about two people falling in love, breaking the ice, is uh, called Let's Be Friends. 
which was suggested a long time ago by a friend of mine, and it's uh, about you're playing two children on the playground who meet, and you're seeing if they end up being best friends. And so if they don't become best friends, not that's not terrible. It's not like they hate each other. It's just you're seeing uh, sort of an innocent, young relationship grow. Um, and uh, I wanted to include that because not everybody really wants to play games about romance. Even if they buy this, they might want to play a game with a friend and have it just be a different kind of emotional experience. So it's fun to include that. And there was another one that was it's slipped out of my head, so. Should we ask some questions too? Yeah. <laughs> Do we have questions currently? If not, dig in. Okay. Uh, when you guys you guys, for your sessions, is it you guys are the DMs, are you just the writers, or are you the players, or is it all just mix and match? All of the above. All right, so when you guys are actually leading these uh, sessions, uh, how do you get your players into it? Is it one of those things they know what they're coming into, or is it more of a situation you got people that want to play something, and you kind of have to like, well, this is what we're going to do, because I'm more interested in finding people that are out of the norm of this and bringing them into it. I think it's good to probably find a game that matches people's level of interest. Um, so if they're already have a, a little experience with playing games that are, are deeply emotional, then maybe you want to bring something that'll really push it up to 11. Um, uh, when I played Under My Skin with Shoshana, the group that was there were people who had really um, played a lot of games that were fairly intense. And, um, and actually, several of the people were partners and it's a game that you, where you deal with infidelity. So I checked in with them beforehand. And I said, okay, I just want to make sure really that this really is going to feel safe for you. And let's talk with you about what character you're going to play. Do you want to play in a, in a relationship with your partner? Do you want to be a little separated so that if you can sort of see what's going on but not have it face-to-face? -face? And people made different choices. So we positioned them in places that they were going to feel comfortable. Um, and then you might want to, for newer people who haven't done this kind of thing or that, you know, or, or maybe you're playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, uh, 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 whatever campaign you're playing and you want to move into deeper um, ground, maybe you can pick a game that will help introduce them in a lighter way. There's a game called The Upgrade, which is a LARP, which is, it's basically about a reality TV show and you're playing the people on this reality TV show like uh, Temptation Island or where your couple's worst swapped around and then you see whether you're going to stay with your partner at the beginning, at, from the beginning at the end of the game work again, dump them for somebody else. And it's mostly funny and silly, but also it can bring you into those emotional moments um, when you don't expect it, as, as Shoshana was talking about. So that's a game that I've used to introduce people so they can sample it. You know, they can be just a silly character who's a caricature and it's fine, or they can have a really deep experience with somebody else um, and probably looking for ways either within the system that you're working with right now to create moments of intimacy or, or a different kind of emotion um, or finding another game that they can sample a good place to start. Um, so to dovetail off that, safety is actually an extremely important tool both in general and as a reassuring um, <laughs> safety net to allow people to be emotionally vulnerable. There is a very useful tool called the X card, if people have not heard of it, which is functionally, this is a card that has an X on it. When there's something that, that I am uncomfortable with having in play, 
I tapped the car, and we just, it just didn't happen. We moved past. No, no need to explain. A new one. Functional. Yeah. yeah. And having that on the table now means that everyone here knows that they can go somewhere if uh, it's too uh, intense uh, and if they're not comfortable. Which means that people are can be more vulnerable because they, they can rely on that instead of having to self-censor. So I find that's a very useful tool on that front. Um, and for a lot of LARPs, uh, it's, it's sort of uh, become understood that uh, sort of the out of character symbol is you put your hand over your head and you can break character to go out of character and talk this way. Um, but there's also a mechanic that's basically now being passed around, uh, which is if you want to nope out of a scene, basically, which is that's what we call it, or, uh, to step out of a scene, then you don't, you know, explain this beforehand at the beginning of the game um, that these tools are available. So the X card is explained, obviously, for the tabletop beforehand. Uh, in a LARP, it would be you explain at the beginning of the briefing. If anybody at any time feels any uncomfortable in any way with any material, you can put your hand over your head and just say, excuse me, and walk out of the game, out of the scene, um, and uh, there's no questions asked. Um, you don't ask the other person, oh, excuse me, why are you so uncomfortable with what's going on right now? Did you have some horrible childhood trauma? No, you don't ask <laughs> questions. Tell me about your childhood about trauma. Your <laughs> like, you just, you know, it could be as easy as I'm going to go get a coffee instead, um, or, or just, hey, I'm really having a problem. Uh, and then you just go out. And then if you need to seek out a, like, you know, you can come and talk to a storyteller. Um, there's also an, a mechanic uh, called the, uh, the the red light, green light system or the stoplight system, which is uh, for escalation of emotion. Uh, so you can say, if things are going okay, we'll leave it there. But if you want to say, hey, let's get more intense, <clears throat> you can sort of either, like, we have a guy that has, like, tap a badge sometimes on your shirt, which will be, like, go, step up, like, let's make this more intense. Or you can use a word, um, mostly it's done with like red light, green light, to make it easy for people. But I've heard it used as like using specific words um, in, inside the role play so as not to interrupt. Uh, so I went to New World Magiscola, which was uh, not Harry Potter, but a magical like uh, uh, thing in uh, school in America, where one of the safety things was a word called Largo, which is basically if you said the word Largo, it meant take it down a notch, like this is a little too intense for me. Um, you didn't have to break character, but if we were all up here at a 20, you got to bring it down to like a nine so that everybody can get comfortable, and uh, you know, and that way, and that way you don't have to break character. But if you did, uh, actually, they did something really interesting, which was you didn't even have to signal it. All you would do is look down and walk away. And the indication was, if you're looking down like this, it meant don't interrupt that person. Either they could be like, they could just be having sensory overload. They could be tired. They could just you don't have to explain. You're looking down, that's the do not engage, I'm going away, and then just ignore and let the person walk off. And it gives them the alibi to not have to feel embarrassed that they're having emotions. So, and people are encouraged to do that just for nothing, so that people felt comfortable, if that makes sense as well. Yeah, to kind of expand on that though, what happens when you have, let's say, two people and their emotions are starting to get to the point where it's getting the better of them? Sure, absolutely. And then they don't, consciously know to break character and leave on their own. Uh, so if, if there's a facilitating role, this is where the facilitating role says, let's have a break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's get some water. Or I've broken character for people, um, basically, which is like, I'm actually super uncomfortable that both of you are yelling at each other. So like, <laughs> if I'm feeling that way, that means my feelings are now 
kind of in a bad place. So I've literally been like, Largo, easy. Well, like, let's can we talk about this? Like, there was a scene in New World Magiscola where like 40 people were yelling at each other in like this giant thing that was going on. It was like a protest. And at a certain point, actually, I wasn't upset because I love scenes like that. But I was like, mm, there's two people this close to each other, screaming at each other. Their body language is saying maybe they're a little not in control of where this is going. So I was like, Largo, 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 because I don't want anybody hitting each other. <laughs> like that, that's, you can sometimes choose that. And that's because it's honoring your feelings as either a GM or as another player where you're feeling like the table's going someplace you don't necessarily want it to go. Um, there was a question in the back. Okay, so I heard about that X system in the panel last night. Yeah. You brought it up again. It sounds great, but what I don't quite understand is, okay, so so we played Death Witches. Someone's died in a horrible, fiery uh, yep. plane accident. We're, we're dealing with the funeral, and it's getting too emotional. Somebody gets the X. Do we just, so we basically skip that scene and go to, and now the Grave Tears putting some dirt, and now we go to the next thing? Like, I don't quite understand. You zoom out. Yeah, but I don't. You zoom out, gray skies, the rain is falling on the coffin, and the coffin's lowered into the ground. Okay. Done. Okay. Next. All right. That makes sense. All right. And more often, how I've seen it used is about a specific concept. Yeah. You know, like if someone starts introducing rape, and someone says, let's just veer off of that, let's just have some other thing be happening. Rather than it being uh, about, let's end the scene right now, although it absolutely can be used that way. Um, and also in some games I've seen it, like, and, and this is all, like, bear in mind, established ahead of time. So like at the beginning of the game, when, like, when we would explain the X card, because my table doesn't necessarily like veer away immediately, we say, okay, what we're going to do is when we hit the X card, we're not going to ask why this is a problem, but we're going to negotiate how the scene's going to go. So we're going to talk about it instead of like working through it and playing it, we're going to be like, so instead, your guy hits this guy, and this is how it goes, and then we're going to move on to the next scene. So there's a negotiation period, so it doesn't feel so jarring. But that's like stages, of, but you establish that with your players and your player base beforehand, um, so that it, you know your table is good with it. Some other tables are like, no, I just want to be away. That's cool. It's just de degrees, as long as everybody's on the same page. I think that's the important part. Um, so I... Uh have DM for a while, normally things like D&D &D or uh, Pathfinder or whatnot, and I have seen a lot of the hiding behind the mechanics on the map and the character sheet. And I'm kind of curious what the mechanics are specifically that you're talking about that kind of lets the more emotional play get into, like uh, to get some of the math out there. I'm curious what that's As in what mechanics enable emotional play or what mechanics are people using to shield themselves from emotions? Both are interesting. I was asking about the first one. But uh, one very useful uh, thing is the concept of flags on character sheets. So, for instance, um, one of my games uh, is Spark, and characters have beliefs that are written down on their character sheet. Same thing as Burning Wheel, also. I'm not going to tap this table because I, yeah. I have to clean up the audio. <laughs> um, so it says, um, um, family can never be trusted, and it's written on your character sheet. Because that is written text, it means as a GM, I know that. Players also know that. So everyone's looking at the things that are emotionally important. Uh, and that, those, are, those allow you to focus in on. D&D uh, 5e uh, includes some of that in uh, the bonds and um, 
bonds and to some extent backgrounds uh, and other things along the, those lines. So just by looking at what the what the players are flagging as interesting can really give you a nice way in. Um, Making yeah. sure also that um, the atmosphere at the table and the mechanics of whatever the game is are supporting people being able to go into these places and not feel like they're going to be penalized for doing so. Um, a lot of games, it, you, you, everything depends on you being able to do something next. Uh, whether if you have like a, the appropriate stat or the appropriate status, like if my character goes crazy in some games, then that's kind of the end of it. I won't be able to fight. I won't be able to interact with other people. You know, like this character is kind of taken out of play. So making sure that whatever the emotional states that the characters go into actually work with whatever the mechanics are is really important. Because if not, of course people are going to want to avoid it. They don't want to fall in love if that's just going to make them vulnerable to being manipulated later on. Um, unless that's what you're there for. Um, and then approach that many games take, which obviously not all can, is to, to take away the sheet and just have it be very uh, non-number oriented, very narrative oriented, um, really be thinking in terms of the character being uh, the character description and what you think about it. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the freeform works that we've been talking about today do that. Um, there's one in particular that I wanted to bring up called Robin's Friends, uh, and it's a, a fairly short game for three people, um, where it's three friends who've been friends since college, and one of them has cancer and hasn't told the other two. She uh, invites the others to attend <coughs> together because she just wants to be perfect, and the way you play the game is you play it out once, where they're all just in their old habits and patterns where they're sniping at one another and not uh, communicating, and the character doesn't tell them and dies. And then you play that again, where you do everything that uh, the way they might have wanted it, where they break out of their patterns, and they're able to connect, and they're able to really do the things that, you, in the first run, you, you saw them not do. But then at the end, you realize that that was, that was just a, a might have been, but actually, it happened for the first run. And it's really heartbreaking. Um, and the, the mechanics rely basically <coughs> on creating the situation and knowing the characters, and it just uh, having people put you in situations rather than having numbers. So that's one approach is just to take away the numbers. And even in a game that's completely numbers-based, a lot of times when you're role-playing with Dungeons & Dragons, or, or whatever <coughs> type of game, there's periods where you're just having character interaction. So maybe you could say, well, let's, let's set aside the stats for a moment. Um, we're, we know that your character uh, is falling in love. Let's have a little scene where you're actually just interacting with that character, and then maybe the other people will play NPCs. So there's ways to sort of shift and make space for things that are more emotional, and if people are willing to do that, then have a good experience. Yeah. So tailing off of that, you know, there, there are games that have taken away the numbers, sort of, on some levels, like um, Fake Core is one of my favorite uh, settings, and it's because, uh, or rather, systems. And it's because uh, it's largely based on uh, aspects, which are basically short sentences or, or phrases about your character. Um, but as opposed to them just being like, oh, you know, I'm the captain of the football team, a lot of them include like emotional words or emotional situations that are important to your character, your tying to other people at the table. Um, and a lot of games have adapted that actually since and have aspects like 5e as bonds and such like that. Um, but what's great about that is that it's it's implicit that numbers to me like can be great, but they 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 lack an emotional weight, right? And like you can have I am I am you know plus five in this, 
But what, what does that actually mean? Are you, are you happy with that? Are you comfortable with that? Um, the old White Wolf games actually used to try to add like a, a verbal content mm -hmm. to it, which was, you know, your, your certain dex dexterity, right? But that's when you were trying to use it in LARPs, you would have to sort of use like verbs and adverbs to it and add that instead. Um, it's very difficult, but that's a mechanical way to try to signal um, things through language as opposed to numbers. And there are a lot of games also that structure the emotional experiences. So you go towards the, the either numbers or the structures to help people know that that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And that's, that's sort of what Jason was talking about where, with the flags, where it says right there, this is, this is what we're going to. Apocalypse World, for example, uh, has relationship mechanics and, and sex moves. So you do a lot of different moves that have to do with combat or whatever your character is about. And then on the character sheet it says, if you have sex with another character, this is the Benny that you get, or this is the interaction with them that you get. And it's really interesting watching people play that game for the first time where they're like, whoa, wait a minute, what? Uh, and some people just don't do it. That's your option. You don't ever have to use that move. But if you do, you've got an incentive to do it mechanically. And uh, it's interesting. It, it always gets you more involved in some kind of uh, complicated situation with other people. So it, it allows openings for... I love the part about about that game, though, that, like, I have friends who, obviously, they play game to optimize play, right? Like, they want to optimize everything, use everything on their sheet to get the most that they can to win, like, situations. So I love watching them use sex moves to try to get the most information or what they need, yep. and then how it makes things emotionally complicated <laughs> for them, because they're trying to optimize and realizing that, like, sure, like, I've gotten all the weapons I need, but now, like... I have like three yeah, girlfriends, and what am I doing? Oh. <laughs> like, like, what's happening? So it, it causes... One of them's a brainer. Right. right. <laughs> like, um, and it causes these weird emotional things at the table um, just by trying to be sort of the beat state, uh, which I think rewards a different kind of play. Um, there was a question here yeah. earlier. Uh, so as someone who either has run or plays in a lot of... I think settings that tend to lean toward more negative emotion, not negative emotion, but uh, darker themes, so your urban fantasy, your cyberpunk, things like that. What would you say are effective strategies that you've found for bringing levity and bringing positive emotions back into things that would typically be uh, darker or heavier themes? I think that's a really important question, because it's easy to just dive down into the darkness. And it's great, but if we don't have a dynamic set of tones, then uh, you can get overwhelmed with it, and it's just... The, I, yeah, the easiest way i found, as a baseline, like, we need something that's that's bright in here, is black comedy. Because okay. it's easy to swap a dystopia into black comedy. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's... You're, yeah, I think your question is incredibly important, because I've actually seen a lot of games where they're, they're designed to bring in the dark, and their failure is not understanding that without some sort of contrast that eventually goes one of two ways. Like, either it goes so dark that people just, like, can't deal with it anymore and stop playing, or um, it stops being impactful because if everything is so dark that after a while you're like, cool, they're eating babies again, whatever. Like, it's just, like, and... and it's, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, yeah, they're eating babies, whatever. And, like, I've seen new players, like, at Dystopia this happens occasionally where it's like, it's really hard. You're playing it for, like, five years. You've seen terrible things. Your character's, like, grizzled. New players come in, they're like, oh, there's cannibalism. They're like, what? And you're like, eh, whatever. It's like you walk away because it's a different emotional calibration. 
but um, there's moments of joy that that highlighted or moments of triumph and giving the players a moment to have that uh, offset it so that they have that calibration to the middle. Like I've seen everybody at the bar at Dystopia singing Journey together, like on the top of our lungs to an old record player that barely works. And that brings a moment of just like togetherness of like 40 people who are, have been in each other's throats for like the whole weekend. And it, and it gives you that moment of, of clarity and joy. Um, that came from the players. That's just the players calibrating themselves, saying we need something. Mechanically, I think it's important that when you're looking at those at games that are going to have this, to find a way to create that. Like I think making it more um, explicit in design is important. Uh, we run the Dresden Files LARP, and it's oftentimes really dark. But part of Dresden Files in general is that there's like we're fighting the darkness. We're the good guys, right? So we reward cooperation through mechanics and through storytelling, so that people feel together. And one specific Dresden file as an example. Family. Yeah. Harry has a kid. Spoiler alert. It's, uh, it's years old. <laughs> yeah. We won't say who. Yeah. Um, but that changes the entire dynamic uh, of a character arc because there's family. And that's a really good way of bringing light in because now there's something that people are fighting for positive emotional relationships can uh, arise from that. Building friendships. Friendships. Is, like, so, so many parties are like just individuals going in a similar path in games. Sometimes they're brought together and really, like, they're all at the end together and they're just together into a party. Building dynamics, a lot of games like Monster Hunter's Apocalypse World builds bonds really well. Um, Fate Core, the aspect. Building ways that these characters care about each other so that it's not just, well, what's my motivation for doing this? Or why do, why do I care that guy just fell off a cliff? Yeah. Like, if you care about this other person or about an NPC, um, that's going to start eliciting those emotions so that you start fighting for the other person. You start having the, the drive to see the good at the end of the rainbow and to strive for that, um, which I think is implicit in a lot of people's uh, adventures anyway. You just have to reward it and foster it in, in a really good way. Fantastic. Yes. Um, I, I have a question just, just to keep going off of what you said okay. earlier about trying to get uh, grog guards like, that play D&D &D and Pathfinder, get them a little more emotionally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I found it's really hard to keep um, emotional ties. Like the classic example is the barbarian who his family got destroyed and so he has no ties to anyone oh. except maybe the party. Yeah. But even that, he's ready to leave him in a minute. The other one is the superhero that has a girlfriend, right? No one wants Mary Jane because she's always getting captured and whatever else. Um, so, how do you encourage emotional ties that won't be used against them necessarily? Give them a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, no, it's true. Just give them a puppy. Like, <laughs> just, like, if I, we have so many people who come in and they're like, I don't want to have any character, like, backgrounds and, like, ties. I'm the lone survivor. Right? Awesome. You're the GM. Give them a puppy. Like, immediately, if you're going to, like, you, cool, you want to save the princess and, like, become the greatest hero of all time, but to do that, you have to like take on an orphanage full of children and yep. teach them how to like love again. Right? Like, that's <laughs> the, part of your job. The orphan trick, seriously. Yeah. Like, yep, small orphan says, hi, Mr. Superhero. That's it, make them care about somebody, and if they try not to, if, uh, honestly, I know this is super remote, like <laughs> manipulative, but like, totally. if they try not to, don't let them get to where they're going. Throw things in front of them 
that make them care eventually until and something sticks. Is crying. Like it it's on news. Yep, you 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 made an orphan cry. But it might not be an orphan, right? You could be a, a veteran, right? Or like whatever. You might have to try some things before you find something they care about, because maybe they hate dogs, or maybe they don't care about kids, but they're going to care about an old, old veteran who like is something. Find something that seems to like stick to their their mentality. We have another question. Uh, it's actually it's, I wanted to give a contribution to that. Um, so one thing could be asking the like actually asking the player why is it that they haven't made yep. they've not established it because like I've seen the example where someone was concerned that well if I bring in a romantic partner they're just going to be used as a plot device yeah. that's going to throw that I'm going to get thrown in the bus with um, I think uh, the new Chronicles of Darkness has actually added a uh, added a background a, a merit called um, True Friend where you mechanically say, this is a character, an NPC, that I want that USSD cannot mess with, yeah. unless I agree to it. So giving, if you, like, another option, I guess, would be, like, if you give the player the ability to say, I want this, this NPC that's important to me, or what I want for my character, that isn't going to become the random plot device when you don't have an IP to go with, that might be a really good attitude. Creating a script immunity, basically. Giving yep. them a place of yeah. safety that they know that they can uh, rely on. And actually, I guess uh, a little bit, um, the symptom of the, the syndrome of people having characters that have no connections and that just they don't connect with anything is almost like another reflection of the type of uh, um, hardening that Shoshana was talking about in Dystopia Rising, where people are making a rational choice to not care. Yeah. Because in this system, they've been, you know, it's been used against them so many times. So that, that's a really great idea. And also asking the character what they would be interested in, investing in, maybe. I mean, right, asking the player what about the world interests them that they want to invest in. Maybe they, they, rather than traveling around, they can stay in one place and they can start a business, or who knows, whatever their character might be able to build into, and then having the trust between you that they know that they can invest in this and it won't be taken away. That's the, that's the thing that I think is really important in, in all of these games. Like, um, there's, a, there's a tradition of the evil GM that's going to come and like take your stuff and, and fight you and, and be evil to you and wants to kill your character and wah Getting emotions from people and, and having them to feel comfortable to be vulnerable means that that nonsense has to go out the door, in my opinion. Because like, if they think that you're the enemy as the GM, they're not going to want to be open to you. That's why they don't want to have character back ties. Because you're just going to kill them all if you're their enemy, right? Um, it's fostering that the GM is there to tell a story with you. And that you are making a safe place for them to have these emotions and tell these stories without um, being afraid that rocks are just going to fall on that puppy that you just got. Um, just arbitrarily. Um, and then if it does happen that the puppy gets squished... Um, that there's a good reason for it, and that they feel like you're not just being a jerk for doing that, but they're trying to give you a good story experience. Right. So they have to trust you as a GM. Uh, that for some people is really hard uh, because of like this history of evil GMness that we just have to kind of work through. And with that, I'm going to let you all leave. If you are uh, going to another event, you may leave. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs>